Welcome to the Christian Indie Writers Podcast, where we inform, encourage, and support Christian indie writers on the journey toward publication. I'm Rhonda Hagerman, and I write fiction and nonfiction. I'm Jamie Hirschberger. I write short fiction under the pen name J.R. Nichol. And I'm Christina Katane, and I write multiple genres, including Christian dystopian fiction. <laughs> well, good morning, ladies. <laughs> oh, poor Jen is not here. Yes, uh, Jenna's not feeling well today. Hopefully she'll be able to join us in the chat maybe a little while later. But uh, anyway, um, let's find out what's up with you ladies. Jamie, what's up with you? Well, um, just coming off of the wonderful holiday, I have a sister who lives in Florida. And until we moved down here, she spent the um, Thanksgiving holiday with some friends, which is very nice. But it's also very nice to have family relatively close. So she's been coming up to spend the Thanksgiving um, actual turkey day with me and her nieces and nephew. And we had a wonderful time, uh, even a little impromptu dance party in the family room. We shoved all the furniture out of the way and just really had a great time. So that's uh, what I was up to this past week. What about you, Tina? I know your Thanksgiving didn't really go as planned, did it? No, it sure didn't. Um... There was a big storm here in Michigan on Sunday, which is when we were going to do our family Thanksgiving. And my boys live up on the tip of the thumb. So for you people who aren't in Michigan, we use our hands as maps. Am I using the right hand? Yeah. There you go. That's the hand. And they live up here. So Michigan, the lower part of Michigan looks like a hand. And they live here and we live here. It's a two-hour drive. And that, that tip of the thumb juts up into, it's Lake Huron, right? I'm, I always get those wrong. And um, so they get a lot of snow and stuff that we don't get down here. So there was a big storm. We got quite a bit of snow. And they got um, freezing rain and then snow. Um, so my sons called me about 1030. I already, we already had the sides in, like the potatoes and the... Um, I don't know, the bean casserole and that stuff in the oven. And I had my, we decided to have prime rib. My husband wanted to have prime rib and the store only had two, four pound prime ribs and we were going to have eight people. So he was like, oh, that's going to be enough. So we bought two of them. So I had eight pounds of prime rib already at room temperature on the counter with like the salt and pepper and stuff all over it. When they called and said they were in the ditch. My boys were in the ditch. They're fine. The truck was a little dented. They got towed back to their place, but they didn't make it. My son-in-law had some problems with his ears. He has um, damage from the war, and he has a lot of problems with his ears. He didn't make it, so it was me and my daughter and my teenage son and my husband and my granddaughter. Uh, and we So we have been eating a lot of leftover prime rib. <laughs> that's what we've been doing uh, this week what a hard yeah <laughs> it's hard to feel sorry for you tina i admit yeah so did After you make yorkshire day it gets old sorry <laughs> did you make yorkshire puddings with your no i did not oh well i will be making it uh saturday because i love it uh we had thanksgiving with my husband's family last week on thanksgiving and then this saturday my parents are down so no barb in the chat, but <laughs> in the peanut gallery. Um, but then also we're having our Thanksgiving this uh, Saturday. So I will be making Yorkshire pudding. So, 
um, anyway, let's get right into our topic today. Was that okay with everybody? Sure. All right. So today we're talking about scenes versus chapters. And this is really timely for me because um, in my nano project, I'm chopping everything into where I want the different scenes to be and which scenes I want in the same chapter together. So um, let's see. Um, Tina, can you just tell us what a scene actually is? Okay, well, a scene is the smallest part of a story. And um, unless you have a teenager who's sarcastic like mine and said, um, isn't a letter the smallest part of a story? Like a um, letter in a word. Like, well, one letter doesn't make a story. So um, it's the smallest part of a story. Um, and it's usually one character's point of view at one time in one place. Okay. The short version. All right. So how do you know when it's time to move on to a different scene then? When you change point of views, um, places, or what was the other thing I said? Uh, location, location, time, or time. point of view. Yeah. And for people who are curious about point of view, I sort of feel like someone who's brand new to writing and might not recognize um, the differences of what we're talking about. When we're talking about a point of view, um, we're talking about whose eyeballs um, the reader is looking through sort of in the story. So when, let's say you have a character named John and a character named Nancy. Well, if Nancy and John both walked into a room full of artifacts or antiques, their experience of the room and the things that they think about the room would be different. And as a writer, you have the obligation to your readers to stick with the same person throughout a scene so that your reader is not confused about what is happening. So that's the point of view. It's whoever's eyeballs you are looking through through, and whose emotions you are um, documenting or recording for the reader. Okay. So then would a scene be a complete idea? Or is it just the start of an idea? Or is it... Um... Each scene should have its own little, almost its own little story within a story. Um, but it can be just a portion of an idea. Mm -hmm. I mean, because you have like your whole overarching idea for your entire story. But then each scene is kind of a little story within. And, but there's usually a point to it. So potentially a conversation between two characters where a key piece of plot information is revealed would be a scene, right? So right. I need to write the scene where Debbie tells Al that she found a dead dog behind the dumpster, whatever. You know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay, so Jamie, then what is a chapter? How is a chapter different from a well, scene? This is interesting because I used to call each of my scenes like a chapter. And when I publish my short works, my scenes are my chapters, although in shorter works, you, you really don't think of them that way. Um, but when you get into a longer piece, um, the, the chapter can be one scene, just depending on how long it is. So uh, again, if the conversation that Sal and, and Tammy have to say is a, a goodbye, you know, sort of, we need to encapsulate their whole romance in this one conversation. Well, the, there might be a whole lot more to that chapter. It might be that that one scene is your entire chapter. Am I answering your question? I feel like I'm yeah. kind of just rambling. No, you are. 
Yep. I just, I just, um, and this is the reason we chose to do this topic, is I'm teaching a, bu a, a book. I'm teaching a book. No, I'm not. I'm teaching a class in my homeschool co-op um, to some teenagers on how to write a book. And our lesson on last Monday was scenes and chapters. And you know, I, when I was doing, I, you know, I kind of knew the topic, but I still do research because I want to make sure that I'm being comprehensive and that I'm giving them information that's just not my opinion. So I was doing this research and it, it turns out a lot of authors don't figure out their chapter breaks until they're completely done writing their stories. Hmm. And then once they have all their scenes together, then they decide where to put the chapters. So I thought that was really interesting. Okay. Um, James so, Patters, I'm sorry, go ahead. That's okay. I think it's also very timely because when we had our conversation about Scrivener last week, I hadn't really thought so much about um, these little chapters that I had that were eight or 900 words of just, um, so the male character of my story would be having just thoughts for about eight or 900 words and realizing I didn't have to make that a whole separate chapter. It could just be a scene in a chapter, um, you know, that is coming after a few dots on the page to tell the reader, to signify to the reader that there's a, a perspective change was very eye-opening for me. So um, this is a timely conversation for me as well, I think. Okay, um, Tina, let me pause you for just a second and ask Jamie a question. So since you're sort of our short story expert, is there a rule of thumb um, when it comes to, you know, would you just have one scene per chapter or would it still be multiple scenes per chapter if you have a short story? I think that there's a very good argument for not having chapters at all in a short story because a lot of people, um, want to just kind of read through and not have the same kind of mental break that a person would have in a longer mm -hmm. work. Um, okay. I just happened to, I don't know, whimsically decide that I was going to section up my short stories the way that I did. Okay. Um, okay. It, so if there's a rule, I've broken it. <laughs> All right. Well, aren't, isn't that what they're made for? Okay. So Tina, please continue. You were going to talk about James Patterson? Um, well, first I was going to say a chapter technically is just a sequence of scenes. Um, and those scenes usually have one overarching idea. Um, so you kind of have like a mini story in your scene, each scene. And then each chapter kind of has a little mini story. And then they all fit into your big story. So, And yeah, James Patterson um, sometimes writes chapters that are just one page long. And there's a famous chapter in the book Misery by Stephen King. That's only one sentence. Oh, so that was the chapters best. are really um, the purpose of chapters really is either for pacing or to hook your reader and get them turning the page. So like in, okay. a, in a um, book that is a thriller, you want to have short chapters so that it so James Patterson's books literally have hundreds of chapters because he writes thrillers and he we want to keep the pace moving. Maria says she has rough chapter breaks but doesn't finalize them until the last draft. So they might change a bit, but still, yeah. And then um, Robin says in her short story slash novella, she has chapters but not scenes. And yes, that's kind of right. Because, I mean, it's a semantical thing for me because if I were writing a longer work, I think everything that I've called a chapter in my shorter work would be called a scene. 
but it's interesting to think about because um, with my my works getting longer and being more novel length, you kind of do start to wonder, is this chapter sort of rambling on? And that's where questions about how many words should be in a chapter tend to come up from new writers because they're like, well, this chapter has been kind of going on and on for about 6,000 words. Am I, am I going to lose my readers sort of a thing? So, Tina, would you say the only time to change your chapter is if there's a scene or perspective, a location or perspective change? Or is is it that you should stop your chapter when you've made your point of the chapter? What would you say? Well, I think it depends on, on what you're using the chapter for. So, because a lot of times um, you want to end your chapter on kind of a cliffhanger kind of a thing where there's some kind of hook. Um, that can want, well, keeps your reader wanting to find out what's going, what's going to happen next. And that's a great place to end the chapter. Okay. Um, so then how would you start the next one? How do you make it feel like it's a, do you want it to feel like there's a flow or? Oh yeah. There's, it's a cause and effect. So whatever happened in chapter one caused what's going to happen in chapter two. And so you end chapter one on this hook of, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? And then chapter two tells them what happens. So you start chapter two with this, with a hook also, and then something else happens. And then you have a change at the end of that chapter that leads to another cause and effect. What is the absolute best slash worst is when something cliffhangery happens in chapter one but you don't get the answer in chapter two. Chapter two is something else. And then it has to be like chapter three before they're back to <laughs> right. what left you in the cliffhanger. It's funny because Robin says she gets bored of her scenes and throws cliffhangers. In there. <laughs> um, Maria says her chapters in her historical fiction uh, tend to be on the long side. So I'm curious mm. if she has a word count she goes for. Um, should there be a word count or does it depend on genre? Or, well, because I I was having these questions about, you know, so it, if a chapter is a series of scenes, okay, come on, this is getting a little tedious. When is it over? Um, I did look up and it looked like about 5,000 words was kind of a target that I would want to hit. Wow. Uh, yeah, believe it or not. And they, they were like between three and six. I guess was kind of just the general nosing around the internet, seeing what people think is an ideal chapter length. Right. So um, that translated in my mind is about 5,000. <laughs> so if I feel like all my little scenes are adding up to about 5,000 and that's where that Scrivener statistics um, module is very helpful because you can highlight a chapter in your novel and you can look and see how many um, words you have in that particular chapter. I think that's handy. So let me just give an example of what I was talking about. My one character is in the hospital, my female main character, and my male main character goes to see her in the chapter. And that's what the primary purpose of the chapter is to introduce them to each other. But on the way out of the hospital, he has reactive thoughts about meeting her in the elevator ride down to the parking garage. Now, the whole scene is written from her point of view. She sees him come in. She reacts to his personality. It's all... Scene, the scene is through her eyes from the hospital bed. So she's obviously not in the elevator with him. So it can't be from her perspective anymore. So there's a perspective as well as a location change. And that requires a change of the scene, 
even though the chapter is still about the visit to the hospital. So hopefully that's a concrete enough example to help people understand what we're talking about. Right. And I think the length of the chapters is, is genre specific because if you are writing a thriller, you want, you don't want to have that many words for the next thing to happen. Mm -hmm. You want okay. things to move along a lot more fast, <clears throat> more fast. That was great English. <laughs> um, and so using James Patterson again as an example, and you could use Mark Dawson or anyone like that. Um, their his Mark, Patterson's um, chapters are like a page, a page and a half usually when you're reading him. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting. Um, Maria says she's nervous to say how long her chapters are since we seem to think five to 6,000 is long. And I look, I mean, that's just whoever on the internet, your chapters are as long as they need to be. That's why you indie publish. You don't have anybody kind of trying to tell you that your chapters mm -hmm. can only be 6,000 words. Right. Um, so the, Tina, uh, speaking of chapters, is there anything else you wanted to add into the chapter segment before we get onto scenes? Um, yeah, let, let's let Jamie finish her thought and then I'll... Okay. Nope, that was all that it was, really. Oh, okay. Um, so this, I just wanted to say that um, we should talk about nonfiction a little bit. Um, because yes, in nonfiction, in the scenes in nonfiction, and, and Rhonda could probably speak to this better than I can, but um, it's instead of character, point of view, that kind of thing, you're talking about a concept. Mm -hmm. So if you're writing a book about, I don't know, pick something, then there, and you have your little outline of the different points you want to make about your one concept, then each, each of those little points would be a chapter or a scene. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Um, and then the same thing with chapters. When you're writing nonfiction, um, the chapter almost always offers the end of a thought or a concept. And it builds understanding of something. So usually if you're reading nonfiction, it's to learn something. So it would be like the next point on the outline. Like a new well, teaching module or something. Right. And let's face it, the whole kind of ideal of, of dividing up a longer work into chapters and scenes is to just really make it a little more easily digestible. Um, for the same reason you have kind of paragraph breaks. Did you guys ever get on Facebook and read someone's rant that's like, uh, you know, 800 words with zero paragraph indentations. Yes, and you just I know I write, don't read them. Yeah, you just kind of want to write, look, you know, if you would like for me to read your posts, you need to minimally have paragraph breaks because my brain just cannot digest all of your words kind of smushed together like that. And frankly, this is why we do chapters because someone sitting down with a novel length piece of um, fiction or nonfiction that was just paragraph after paragraph with no divisions. I don't know. There's something very defeating about that. Wouldn't you guys agree? I mean, mm -hmm. so so basically you're breaking your big piece into bite-sized uh, morsels for your um, reader. And so that's a way that you can look at it too, like to just make the whole story more digestible. You want to feed it to your reader in pieces, parts. Yeah, and that is the um, purpose of chapters. We we don't really, as readers, we don't really um, have a lot of um, recognition of a scene change. Maybe as a writer reading a book, you would say, oh, they just changed scene. But when most people are reading a book, they don't go, oh, they just changed the scene. Right. They don't have, but chapters are concrete. 
Like you turn the page and it says chapter two and, and it does something in your mind, whether you keep reading or you put the book down and rest and come back to it. Like it's, it's just kind of a, a breath kind of thing in your mind of here is a break in the story. Right. If you want to look at punctuation as cues to how to read, um, chapter breaks would be a cue to take a great big giant breath longer than a period. <laughs> okay, we just got a confession from Maria. So her chapters are seven to 9,000 words. Yeah. Well, and she is, she says, traditionally published by a small mm -hmm. press. And apparently her editor and her readers think that those are excellent chapter lengths. So that's right. fabulous. She, she's writing historical fiction and she said she thinks chapters are longer. And I think she's right because when you're writing historical fiction, there's a lot more, um, I don't want to say description, but you mm -hmm. have to get the history in there. And it's not yeah. just the action of the characters. Yeah. The reader's expectations more, are different. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot more information you got to fit into a chapter. Mm -hmm. yeah. All right. Well, let's get into writing scenes. So Tina, take us away. Okay. Let me find my notes. So there are, I'm sure there are probably as many ways to write a scene as there are writers. I don't know. I tend to really like the story genius method. Um, story genius is a book um, by Lisa Crone and her last name is spelled C R O N. She also wrote a book called wired for story. And I really, really like her method. It's kind of a plotting outlining method. Um, but basically you focus on your scenes and each scene you like diagram it. Um, so, you start by dividing the scene into two parts. This is what I do. So you guys can t say what you do when, and after I explain it. So you have your scene or at the action, and then you have the sequel or the reaction. So something happens and your characters react. Like that's the simple explanation. Um, but your point of view character has a goal and then a conflict comes and that conflict causes some kind of disaster. So that's the, that's the action part of the scene. So, I mean, it could be as simple as I, my goal is to go grocery shopping and, um, I get to the grocery store and I can't find my grocery list and I left it at home and now dun, dun, dun. I don't yeah. know what I'm supposed to be buying. Okay. So it could be something as trivial. The disaster does not have to be like the mountain crumbled. You know what I'm saying? That is not trivial for getting the grocery list. No, it is not. Well, you know, I could go into this app I have on my phone so that I never forget my grocery list, but we, that's the whole different podcast. Mm -hmm. um, so then you have the sequel or the reaction. So that's when the character reacts. Oh, I forgot my grocery list. What am I going to do? Um, and then the dilemma is the decision that they have to be made and the dilemma leads to the decision. So those are the reaction, the dilemma, and the decision are all really closely intermingled. So basically your character at the end of your scene makes some kind of decision, whether it's conscious or not, in reaction to whatever happened. And okay. that propels you to the next scene. So then my question is, when you're finished writing, how do you know that you've written a scene and not a chapter? Um, well, right now I just have a whole lot of scenes. <laughs> All, and they each and, and they each it's like a domino effect so each scene knocks the other one down so to speak 
And when I'm all done, then I'm going to figure out where my chapters need to go. Gotcha. So that's kind of, and since. Uh, so you kind of group like book. amongst like, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so, mm -hmm. so you've got all these scenes and then you bunch them up together. The scenes that make sense to be together become that chapter. Right. Gotcha. So uh, what I was just working I, on yesterday is, so this is all still mostly just a really media outline, but I have one chapter where I've got a girl moving into her sister's house. And then at the end of that scene, they talk about going to a diner to discuss her future plans. And then, so that would be the second scene. And then at the end of that scene, she sees this guy across the diner and then so the um, the interaction between the two of them is the third scene in that chapter. So that's my example for today. I hope you liked it. I, okay. I just <clears throat> wanted to point out that, um, oh, my gosh, I lost it. Was it something in the chat or something? On yeah, the it was in the chat. Um, Robin said that we were talking about the taking a deeper breath than a period. She said that's the exact reason why chapters and verses were added to the Bible. I'm so glad. I can't even imagine just having that whole text just mm. kind of blocked out there. Because but then sometimes people rely on those breaks too much and forget about true. what's coming right after it. The context, right? Mm -hmm. Kind of sucks it out of context sometimes. And the, in the, the Old Testament didn't even have punctuation. There's no punctuation in Hebrew. So. My kids don't need that kind of ammunition against me in their <laughs> writing endeavors. So let's all keep that under our hats, mm -hmm. shall we? Yeah, but mom, God beautiful. didn't think that punctuation was necessary. <laughs> <laughs> let's hope that they don't watch the podcast. Though. Right. Uh, yeah. Okay. So what's next, Tina? Um, well, I was just wondering if Jamie had any a different oh. way because you talked about yours. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what's scenes. interesting, right. What's interesting is because most of my stuff has been shorter, there's not really been a whole lot of this. Um, there, I haven't really put any thought into it, but what has happened, I've realized is that my, my way of thinking about this is sort of a river of time and I kind of tend to lump like scenes around the timeline of what is happening in my story. So, um, so if you know that your entire novel takes place over the course of a weekend, well, Friday's events have to happen earlier in the story than Sunday's events. And so um, when I'm writing just sprints or whatever, and then I have to go back and plug everything in, well, it kind of makes sense. And particularly if you're writing something like a mystery, Obviously, the solution to the case can't come until the end of the story. So that makes things a little more obvious for people. But when there are scenes that are character development, like when my two characters have to talk to each other so that um, so that we know that they like each other, so that we start to want to see them together, um, decisions have to be made about where to put in those scenes, right? Like, where is there a place in the action of the story? Obviously, if they're under heavy gunfire, you're not going to slow the scene down to, like, have a romantic moment. Um, well, I mean, maybe you could if you're some kind of weird, um, you know, Tarantino-style writer. But anyway, the point is um, just grouping things up where they make sense chronologically, logically, is really been my strategy so far. Mm -hmm. I always wondered, as a short, if you're 
a short story writer and then you decide to write something longer, I wondered if you wrote your scenes like a short story where you have a shattering moment. Well, you, the key word that you put there was decide. Um, I do not decide how long anything is going to be that I write. And maybe that's kind of the problem. It just ends up being as long as it is. And so it's sort of a surprise to me and a new, a new thing that I have to think about. Um, I, I did, however, get a new story idea come to me and I started to kind of outline it in the Scrivener. And so it'll be interesting to see because I do anticipate that it will be no novel length. So yes, so it'll be interesting to see how I'm able to manage some of these more complicated, sticky ickies, you know, we'll mm -hmm. see. Yeah, and I think that, I guess the bottom line is we all have our own process. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure if Jennifer was here, she would have her own too, her own way of formulating. Oh, sure. Well, and here's the thing about word count. Um, you, it is kind of known in the industry, if you don't get to a certain number of words, your characters are going to feel flat to the reader, your plot is going to feel thin, et cetera, et cetera. So, so for example, Jennifer might know for her book to feel good, it has to be about 60 to 80,000 words. I'm totally guessing, right? Mm -hmm. But she knows that a good book will be about 60 or 80 or whatever her thousands of words is, right? right? And then she will plan for scenes and chapters that will get her that word count, which will help her know that she's um, providing enough for the, for the reader to care about her characters, et cetera. Yep. So. I do know that her scenes generally are around 2,500 words. That's Not that scene. she shoots for that. That's just what they end up being. Okay. I think that's about what mine are too. I was looking at it the other day and I, mine gen, tend to be between like 1,800 and 3,000 words. 1,800 is about where mine come in. So that's why I was like sticking two or three of them together. <laughs> okay. Um, do we have a minute to talk about chapter breaks before we get into our beating of the backs? Yeah. I mean, I think we kind of covered that a little bit, but Basically, there's two main roles of a chapter. One is to control the pacing, and the other is to keep the reader reading. So um, if you want your book to go faster, you put more chapter breaks in. And if it's more, if it's something like um, historical romance or even just historical fiction, you want, it, you want to kind of slow it down. You make longer chapter breaks. Or if your story, for example, is set in, you know, the deep South and, and everybody is feeling, you know, lazy, hazy days of summer. Mm -hmm. You might want long and languid kind of chapters. Right. And it's each chapter is another chance to hook your reader. Hmm. So, beginning and end of each chapter. Oh, Brits call periods, full stops. Mm -hmm. Maria is educating yeah, I've us. That. I've heard people say that on, mm -hmm. because I watch a lot of British TV. I like that full stop. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, should we come to a full stop here? <laughs> and hi, Rhonda. Like, <laughs> I just had a little moment. All right. Are we ready for feeding in the backs, or uh, do you want to add anything else to that? I think we covered it. Yeah, I think we got I it. Think there's questions too. in the chatteroo there. I don't see any questions. There's a lot of mm -hmm. comments. Yeah, our um, audience is very knowledgeable. I think it's really great how they share with us in the chat. Yeah, definitely. All right. So, um, do one of you want to volunteer to go first, or 
What about you over there? You can go first. <laughs> Rhonda never goes first. I think it's against her religion. Yeah, let's have Rhonda go first. How about that? Mutiny. Wait a minute. I am the host. I decided to go under. All right, I'll go first because mine really says a lot of nothing, to be honest. It's just a basic scene, so I'll share that. It's um, Frank and Moxie. Just because it came out. Yeah, here we go. Oh, we had to do five words today. Sun, clue, crop, <clears throat> indulge, and nature. And I think I have like two words in here. I'm a failure. So anyway, here it goes. <clears throat> Fargo's sunliner eased up to the curb next to the McGillicuddy residence just before the sun sank behind Lake Sumter, bathing the entire street with warm pink and orange glow. As Fargo rounded the car to help her out, Moxie stared at the majestic light show and marveled at how this same event occurred every day, and yet she find herself mindful of its happening only on occasion. Fargo, apparently puzzled for a moment at Moxie's failure to spring from the car in her typical bouncy fashion, looked around himself to discover the cause of her distraction. The sunset, Moxie said by way of helpful explanation, it's breathtaking. Sure is, Callahan, Fargo said, folding his hands on top of the car door and setting his chin atop them. They watched together for a few moments, and then with a sigh, Moxie slid herself off the cream-colored vinyl bench. Okay, enough lollygagging, she teased, as though Fargo were the one who'd stalled their progress. Mrs. McGillicuddy is probably up way past her bedtime, waiting for us to come by and see her. They made their way up the paved walk, and Fargo rapped on the door. Come in. The voice was not that of an elderly lady, friendly and sweet, but was that of a man, deep and demanding. Moxie's questioning eyes flicked up to examine Fargo's expression. His brows came together and his lips pushed themselves together and outward. His eyes swung down to meet Moxie's and she responded with a shrug. I guess we go in, she said. Fargo pushed the door open and allowed Moxie to pass, but she stepped aside the moment she was in the small foyer to let Frank go past. She had been looking forward to another visit with the sweet Mrs. McGillicuddy, but had no desire to proceed without the form of Fargo between her and the man in the commanding voice. She took the moment it took Frank to enter to put her shoulders back and tipped her chin upward just a bit before following Fargo's confident swagger into the sunroom. Hmm. So is this um, going to be in the book? I don't think so. Maybe it'll go in my bomber jacket book. Remember how they found something in that in that bomber mm-hmm. jacket? So mm-hmm. maybe this is like kind of starting to flesh that out a little bit more. Hmm. I'm intrigued. I need to You're go so look cute. At that car and see what it looks like. Oh, Fairlane for it's a Ford Fairlane Sunliner. That's why because Frank Fargo has a Ford Fairlane. I'm not a car person, sorry. Oh, that's all right. You don't need to be. Yeah, you are. What? You are raised in Michigan. No, I was not. I suppose if I. They're cool. They're kind of. Uh, you know, Chevy people would kill me, but they remind me a little bit of the old Bel Air, just a little. But they're Fords, right? So they more look like the precursor for what their Thunderbird ended up being. But anyway, um, he has a convertible. Frank Fargo is just cool. He, yeah, he's awesome. <laughs> All right, who's next? I guess I'll go next. All right. All right. 
Okay. Indulge me, would you please? I'm losing patience quickly with Jake. This is his idea of cooperation. Hmm. This is my idea of torture. My gravestone is going to read, never learned how to play well with others. <laughs> yes, ma'am. He mockingly stands at attention before me, salute and all. I notice it's a Boy Scout salute, not his Marine issued salute. His voice becomes the staccato, staccato drill sergeant, though. Ma'am, you have the clue in your hand. Ma'am, please read it again. It is not in my nature to yell at a soldier, retired or not, but the impulse to whack him right in his high and tight crop is almost more than I can stand. I don't, though. Instead, I give him orders. Jake, stand right here so you're blocking the sun and hold this. I hand him the rolled up paper to free up my other hand. I'm sure we're in the right area of the cemetery, but after a quick scan, I still don't see the one with the carving like this. I assume it's going to be around four feet tall, three inches thick, and white marble. When I agreed to work with him on this clue, I had no idea it would mean spending the entire morning in the graveyard with him. I swear he's trying to make this harder than it is. I thought this would be a 10-minute search. That's basically the end. That's all? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It's so Nancy Drew. <laughs> We're going to go to the cemetery and we're going to stand with our cipher pointed at the sun or whatever. And then it's going <laughs> to shine through and give us a clue. That's great. Oh, thanks. I, I love that you were like beaten on the Marine. Yeah. Oh, she yeah. Kind of hit him in his high and tight. That's awesome. He's been retired for a while. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I really like it. And I like that she's like retired or not. I'm, I'm not afraid to smack a soldier. <laughs> And I, and I just love like the theme of, um, you know, your passion for genealogy and, mm. and mm -hmm. that kind of stuff and how it, like most people don't know that your favorite place to be is a graveyard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a true story. <laughs> anyway. All right. All right so what do you have okay. So I did my best to actually, use characters from my book and use all the words because usually wow. wave goodbye to them on the way past. Overachiever, <laughs> Tina. I know. So here goes. The sun glared down from a cornflower blue sky. Ooh. Petra swiped, mm -hmm. swiped, wiped the sweat from his brow and then bent back to his work. The salmon berries were sweet and ripe and Petra could taste the jam that would be made from them. He was a sucker for some fry bread smeared with salmonberry jam. And though his mom had been gone for years, there were plenty of ladies in the village that were more than happy to indulge his favorite craving. Of course, they always indulged the priests. It was human nature, he supposed, to think that being nice to the priests would get you in good with God somehow. Most of the time, he was more than happy to play along with their delusion. Angelica was picking berries a few hundred yards away, near the bank of the river although it seemed she was doing more staring into the distance than berry-picking. He looked in the direction of her gaze, south, toward the boundary. He wanted to go over and tell her to stop gazing into the distance and open her eyes to what was right here around her. However, he resisted the urge, knowing it would do no good. He knew what it was like to miss your mother. He was fortunate, strangely enough, to know his mom was dead. He didn't know what he would do if he wasn't sure, if she was out there somewhere, that she might just walk back into the village one day. He probably would have gone off long ago in search of her. He had no clue how to get through to Angelica, get her to see that there were those here, right now, alive and right in front of her, that cared for her. 
She saw him watching her, met his gaze for a moment, and gave him a sort of half-smile. Ever since he, the day he'd made the mistake of kissing her, things had been weird between them. Thinking about that moment made his chest go tight like it always did. You staring at my future wife again? Donovan's voice knocked Petra out of his daydream. He ignored Donovan's barb and bent to pick more berries. This crop wouldn't pick itself. Curse you, Donovan! <laughs> oh, oh thanks for really giving good. us such a wonderful person to hate on. Yeah. You, Tina, it's so lovely and wonderful. He may wow. or may not have been patterned after an actual person I know. Oh. He may not I have really been. Interesting. <laughs> Well, so, I really, really like that because it it does it does show how he's like uh, desperate to have her wake up, you know. But yeah, he realizes that uh, it's a fool's errand. I like that he has that awareness, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I really need to know what salmon berries taste like. I know I'm really hungry right now, but I just kept. Imagining well, they don't taste like, like salmon. I know. I was totally picturing <laughs> like caviar, and I was like, "Ew!" <laughs> They're called salmon berries because they are the color of salmon. Mm. But I actually have never tasted salmon berry, oh. so I don't know. What okay. They taste like. mm -hmm. Well, maybe one of your devoted fans will send you a jar of salmon berry jam. Ah. Oh yeah, and I can make up <laughs> some fry bread and have it. Oh man, I want fry bread. That's yeast, though, right? Not baking powder. Can I make it? Do I have to get yeast? I don't think I have any. I Does anyone know? know? You need yeast for might fry be a, bread. It might be more like up. a biscuit, right? Like a fried biscuit, which would just be baking powder and, so, and yeah, soda. Yeah, I think it is more like a biscuity kind of dough because I don't imagine that because it's a it's a traditional um, dish of like native Alaskans, and I don't know how they would have yeast. Well, yeah. they're making a sourdough starter. That'd yeah, be all they needed. I think that was more the, you know, like the sourdoughs, which mm -hmm. would not be natives. They would be like the gold rush guys. Ooh, Robin well, is yeah. asking about fry bread. Um, Robin is asking what is fried bread, and and actually it's spelled fry bread, just F R Y, like uh, present tense fry bread, and it's what it sounds like. Really, it's a bread that's fried instead of baked. It's, yeah, um, it's just a traditional thing that um, Alaskan natives would make for their breakfast. Isn't it sort of a, akin to like a Yorkshire pudding as far as what the batter consists of? I mean, and then I you do kind of fry that. Yorkshire pudding in an oven in hot it's oil. related to a donut mm. from what I, I mean, I've never actually had fry bread, although I did look up a recipe in my research, so maybe I should make some. Mm -hmm. and yes, you like, should. You I'll absolutely sample should. it for you guys in the next podcast. Why don't you oh. make it while I'm in Michigan and we can sample it together? <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> Good job, Jamie. <clears throat> yes. Good job, both you ladies. Your stories are great as usual. You too, Rhonda. Good job. All right. Are we ready for... Uh, accountability corner. Are we ever ready for accountability corner, Rhonda? No. I will give you guys a choice. So do you want to talk about the last two weeks or just this last week? I don't know. I think we should talk a little bit about what we discussed three days ago amongst ourselves because we were, um, um, Maria Johnson, no, you don't crack an egg and then put a piece of bread in it. 
Oh, goodness. It's kind of like you make a dough and then you actually fry the dough. Like Tina said, kind of like a donut would be. Sorry, I'm I'm all over the place. for. It's our... like a savory pancake in Greece. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a savory pancake in Greece. Yes, yeah. that's amazing. <laughs> oh, someone put a link in the chat. Yeah, okay. Link to the to a little video of some fry bread. Well, um, Tina, why don't you talk about the goal setting that we did a couple of days ago and just kind of talk about where you are, if that's all right. Are you opposed to that? No, I, I can't. If I could remember what we talked about a couple of days ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, we evaluated, we evaluated your, your rate of progress and right. you had decided that you could probably edit about five pages a day if you were committed to putting in the time, correct? Yeah. And, um, my my goal from last time was to be in Anchorage, and I'm definitely in Anchorage now. So Yay. that goal has been accomplished. Wow, good job. And I figured out, I kind of did a count. It's a loose count, so it's not exactly accurate. At the time, I had 45 pages left to, um, to revise and edit. And now I'm down to 35, I believe. That's amazing. And so yeah. what we had said was that you should easily be able to finish by Christmas before right. Christmas Eve, right? If I can do five a day, I can get it done in six days. But um, yesterday I only got two done. So it's just a matter of um, like how much work is, is actually having to go on in each scene. So it's, that's just an app. I'm doing between two and five a day. So yeah, I will definitely be done before Christmas. That's so exciting. And we're talking passing it along to an editor done, right? Yeah. Like that is a really huge step. Wow. I just can't wait to celebrate that with you. That's going to be so amazing. And then I'm just going to sit down and go. <sighs> <laughs> what are you? Um, so what are you planning to be able to report back for Friday? Um, like how much that I've, I've gotten more done. Um, let me see. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say that I would will be have between fifteen and twenty five pages done. Okay, that's a very good goal. So that's three to five a day. Mm -hmm. I have a question for you. Okay, so I know you started this book ten years ago, or maybe it's been twelve now. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. It was forever ago. So not counting all that time, but from the time that um, Janie, Jamie, and Jennifer talked you into just starting over and rewriting it. From that time until Christmas, when you're going to be done with your editing, has that been, what, about 18 months? Yeah, about that. Okay. So now that you've done this process, when you go to your second book, how long do you think it's going to take you? I think it's going to be a lot shorter because I there was a lot of um, learning that I needed to do. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of things I didn't know that I didn't know. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then I had to go back and fix it. And that's why the the mistakes that I made along mm -hmm. the way, I had to go. But that's what I'm doing right now. Like I'm opening up some of these scenes that I wrote, I don't know how long ago. And um, it's full of passive voice mm -hmm. or um, too much stage direction where I'm mm -hmm. like, she opened the door and went through it and went into the room. Like, no, you don't even <laughs> need to say all that. You know what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. um, I think it's going to be a lot. I'm I'm in my sprints. My sprints now are a lot cleaner. If you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Than, than they used to be. 
and I so I feel like my writing is going to be cleaner the first time through um, because I have because I know what I didn't know now. I know okay. what I didn't know then. Isn't that a country song or something? Mm -hmm. Do you have any plans for what your next project is going to be? Well, here's the thing. From a marketing <laughs> perspective, it needs to be a sequel to the book I just wrote. From a creative perspective, I don't know. Maybe I need to take a break from that world. Because are I'm you going to publish Lost or are you going to wait until you have the sequel written and ready to go? Oh, I'm and publishing then it. Good for you. Because I think it'll stand alone by itself. There's a lot of people that want to read it um, that I know, you know, personal friends and stuff. So mm -hmm. um, I just probably won't spend a ton of money on marketing until I have um, so, uh, something to go with it. All right. Um, Jamie, your turn. Well, we talked about me um, trying to, I decided that December is going to be all about fixing up the Moxie book. And my goal is to get those edits done by the end of the month and to stop kind of uh, piddling, piddling and pussyfooting around with it and just get it finished. So I had said, well, how about if I can come on Friday and say that I've edited three whole new chapters? I don't really know if I can say that because I've been moving stuff all around. <laughs> I will say that I am very happy with the progress that I made. I've been diligently working. I've been making progress, have not been putting in the time commitment that I could have been. Um, <clears throat> but I'm, I'm happy that I am moving forward. And so I'm going to give myself the, the same goal that I want. Um, well, let's say three whole entire chapters that I can say are done and ready to go to my editor um, by next week, Friday. And my ultimate goal is to be done with these moxie edits by Christmas Eve. Um, and that includes the traveling that I intend to do and stuff like that. So optimistic. I'm, I'm very optimistic. You can do it. Let me share some of the accountability from the chat before I lose it because it's going by so fast. Mm-hmm. Um, Maria wanted to know if anyone made Yorkshire pudding banoffee pie. I don't oh, know. the banoffee pie was banana and toffee and something else. And it sounded so good. But Maria, I have to say no. And I will plead Thanksgiving as my reason. We've had to eat all these leftovers. We've had a Thanksgiving feast and so much food that introducing a new flavor of pie or Yorkshire puddings would feel just entirely too uh greedy and gluttonous just because there's just so much food around yeah maybe for christmas but i would love a banoffee pie not yeah. sure i'm up to making one if jennifer wants to make one because i know that she said she was excited about it i will help her eat it mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. uh, but maria i will be making my yorkshire puddings tomorrow for my second thanksgiving nice so maria says that she's had a good week getting back into editing her third novel also, her publishers might be interested in the MG fantasy she wrote for Nano last year. Oh, yay. Okay, I have to ask wow. what MG means. Middle grade. Middle grade. Okay, duh. All right, do we have anyone else in here? Robin says, December's goal is to finish this draft and all my handcraft Christmas things. Ooh, yes, let's not forget. We have a big holiday coming up. Phew. Yeah. Someone said they won Nano. Who won Nano? Someone had a um, accountability that they won it. Let me. That was Robin. Up. Yay! Oh, 
I won Nano. Woo! Yay! Yay! That's a huge accomplishment. It's yes. really not an easy thing to do with the holiday season and the weather changes and all that upon you. So good job. Mm-hmm. All right, Rhonda. Okay. Well, I'm going to go back a little bit farther. My accountability for November was to work in my Nano. And the main thing I wanted was to just get habits in place for writing because I wanted to really focus on it. And I would like to have um, a book published in the next, oh, I think I said by April. Or I think I said May actually is what I settled on. Um, But anyway, so I completely accomplished that goal. I did get habits in place. I've stuck with them the first week of December. I intend to stick with them for, well, the near future anyway. And so that is my success that I'm thrilled about. Now, in my, I worked on a first draft of a new novel um, during November, and I got about under 35,000 words in the first draft, which is basically a snowflake of the entire novel. And I was thrilled with that. So I didn't win, but I'm a winner in my yes. mind. Anyway. Yeah, because you had said yourself that the last thing you want is 50,000 words of unusable, right? Um, just word vomit. So you have uh, very usable, how many words? It was about 34, almost 34,000 words. That's really amazing. Good job. Thank you. I am thrilled with that. But what I had said a few days ago, which was what you asked us to talk about, was that in my second draft, I would be about 25% of the way through. And I am more than 25% of the way through. Wow. Yes. I These habits, I'm telling you, are the key. So, um, and also yeah, I've, I'm starting to get... have a podcast about that. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe we should. Uh, so I accomplished that. And then so for my goals for next week, okay, four out of the next seven days, I've got a Christmas party to go to. So I will not be able to do anything more than just my morning time office hours. And so I'm going to say by next podcast, I'm going to be 50% of the way through my draft. And then I'd like to amp because I'm already more than 25% of the way through. So that's my upcoming goal. I just can't believe how quickly the, the year has gone past. And I when know. you talk about next week, it will already be December 13th. Mm-hmm. And then just one week from that. And we're really right there up on Christmas. So um, it really reminds you to be diligent with the hours that you have, you mm-hmm. know, to work on your project because your yep. deadline day will be here before you know it. Yep. Um, we have someone in the chat named Sage, and she uh-huh. um, she is goal setting. Let me scroll back up here. December's goal for me is to finish my first sweet romance as well as her woman's fiction work in progress. Wow, oh, Sage wonderful. is a machine working yeah. hard. Yeah, and then Robin says her second December goal is to read a sweet romance novel. <laughs> uh. I have a goal to find an audiobook to have uh, – when I'm traveling, I tried to do Virginia Woolf. I got through one of her books and then I started another one. I'm like, I just can't do this again for another, whatever, 80,000 words. Nope. Virginia Woolf is not for me. So I'm trying to find something else. Um, and I'm toying around with an audible membership, but I can't believe how expensive it is. And you only get one book plus hey, two of their audible exclusives. That seems really ridiculous. Right now you get three months for $6 and 95 cents. 
But Whoa. you only get one book a month. I go through like a book a week. Yeah, that is true. You don't you have you'd have to pay for the other ones. No way. That starts to be very expensive. It's like mm -hmm. the price of an internet connection. I can't do that. So I'm kind of flummoxed. I've been doing a lot of LibriVox and I've been trying to go through everything that my library has available for me. But um I'm just not I don't know. So anyway, if anybody has any suggestions. Um I I just did the Great Gatsby again, which I did not like at all the first time I read it, and I don't even know how I feel about it now. <laughs> oh goodness yeah. all right well um are we all talked out or are there any last comments because it is almost that time well we miss jen we're praying for her to feel better mm -hmm. so she can join us next time yeah definitely okay. all right well then let's wrap it up um Let's see. What should I tell you guys? All right. Well, I guess this just concludes our podcast for today. Um, it's nice to see Sage. Hello from me as well. And everybody else. Um, it's so nice to have you joining us again. Okay. So anyway, we're going to end now. Um, join us next week where we're going to have another exciting topic, <laughs> which we haven't decided on what that is yet. So anyway, um, may all your deadlines be met and may all of your words honor Christ. Bye, you guys. Bye.